This is the Infatuation Podcast, which is a show where I get together with people and talk about Asian things and Asian people that we love. This is Curtis, and on today's episode, we are doing a food industry insider show with my sister Carol and her good friend, Chef Shirley Chung. Welcome to episode 19, everyone. Gong hei fa choi. Happy Lunar yeah, New Year. Chinese New Year edition. Happy Lunar New Year. Yeah, this is the Lunar New Year edition. As Ronnie Chang might say, we hope you all get rich out there. <laughs> Most of all, we hope you're healthy. We hope you're healthy. Today's going to be a super fun show. I know there's a couple foodies who listen to this show, so you're going to have a really good time because we have two people who know the deep ins and outs of the restaurant and food media business. And they've done everything from help open restaurants to open their own restaurants to be on TV. And so um, normally I would be I'd be nervous with two heavy industry uh, titans like today. But we're talking to family today. So uh, I'm going to introduce you to them. It's kind of hard to pin uh, this first guest down to one title. Some people have called her a food event planner. Other people call her a restaurant fixer. But she's just kind of a an all-round jack-of-all-trades with the restaurant industry, but I call her my older sister. It's Carol. Welcome, Carol. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I've literally known you your whole life. Literally. So. <laughs> <laughs> I may be the first guest on your show, I guess, unless you've had our parents. I'm the first guest who's known you your whole life. Yeah, yeah. No, you are. You are for sure. <laughs> and uh, you are joined by your good friend, Chef Shirley Chung, who is the owner and operator of Miss Chi Cafe in Culver City. So all of you Southern Cal people, go give her a visit. And before you had your own restaurant, she has worked with some of the biggest names in the industry, like Keller, Savoie, Batali. And she is a two-time competitor on Bravo's Top Chef in season 11 and 14, where she made the top three twice and runner-up in season 14. And... And since my sister calls you a sister, that makes us related too, right, Shirley? So uh, yeah, we're cousins, sisters. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're all totally. we're all we're family right here. <laughs> <laughs> so we have with us Chef Shirley Chung. Welcome, Shirley. Hi. Hey. So excited to have you both with with us. We're gonna start so the so my listeners can get to know you a little better. We're gonna do a lightning round. Uh, so don't think. <laughs> Well, don't think too hard. Don't think too hard. Uh, this is going to be easy for you guys. There's like nothing easy in here. You're just like, let's go, lightning round. Light- yeah, what, normally, it's just like, we get to know each other. And then by the end of the show, you're like, oh, let's do a speedy round. You're like, we start with that. No, we don't, okay. mess, ar- we don't mess around here on the Infatuation Podcast. All right. This will be fun. Though. I thought this would be fun to hear your opinions on this. So don't think too hard. Just go with your gut. Okay. All right. What is, let's start with Carol, and then we'll do Shirley. What is your favorite late night meal to grab? Um, probably anything fried and crispy. Uh, so French fries, but if there's more options, you know, fried chicken, spring rolls. That's because you just got air fryer. That's why. This is all you're thinking. I tell you. Her head is my my house is a TGI Fridays now. Her head is on fried foods. <laughs> How about you, Shirley? After you get off at the restaurant, what, midnight, 1 a.m., what do you grab? Really bad, like ramen noodles. Oh. But actually from the back, either that <laughs> or from like a tub, you put it in a microwave, yeah. so it's only three minutes, but you, but you have to crack an egg. Like the egg is the magical part. <laughs> it's all about like the MSG field broth with that poached egg. It's the MSG, the egg, yeah. Because <laughs> you get your proteins, you get your, your electrolytes, Carb. yeah. You get your like vegetable-ish from those dehydrated flakes. Yeah, that counts. Yeah, all good. Yeah, yeah. Balance. All right. Now this one is a different class. This is the splurge meal. So this could mm-hmm. cost hundreds of dollars. Could you might have to travel around the world for this meal? But you would say this meal is worth every penny, even including airfare. What is your uh, Carol? Let's start with you. What is your favorite splurge meal that you could go back to many times in your lifetime and it'd still be worth it? Huh. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Too many. I think for me, I'm always trying to try new places. So mm. when I travel, especially, I want to go to the hot new place in Paris or the hot new place in Barcelona. Um, 
I think caviar, just like in terms of a of a dish or a thing I like, is my favorite splurge. Uh, I don't know, or white truffle. <laughs> oh, it's hard. White truffles. And I'll go with my truffles in Italy in November. Okay. Final answer. All right. That's nothing wrong. I see. Oh, we all love the weather. Oh, okay. I would like to say is the Harry Crab Mill in Shanghai. Uh, Not just Shanghai, but like the Shanghai region yeah. during November in China. That's... Oh, like... You everything you just like they're fresh and then you have to take off all the tamale and then the noodle just thin <laughs> threads of noodle with pure crabby tamale with a few threads of white the lake meat and then you just eat it together and then the next courses you know like a full courses of crab everything <laughs> and drunken crab lot uh, marinated crab and uh, you just suck the red oh uh, seasonal so good yeah seasonal oh, so yeah bad. yeah that sounds good yeah we crave for the seasonal thing. Seasonal things that nature gave us. Mm, there you go. Mm-hmm. All right, this one. Uh, now, don't think too hard on this one. Uh, who is your favorite TV chef? Who's your favorite chef on TV? <laughs> don't make any enemies. Don't make. <laughs> oh, that's hard. That is that's so hard. hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can pick yourself. <laughs> I know. Can I pick Shirley? <laughs> oh yes, 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 pick me. Yes, I am my favorite TV chef. And. There's more things happening, so I'm working on to like figure stardom or your favorite TV person. Okay, okay. yeah, we'll take that. That works. That works. <laughs> all right. Um. Yeah. There. You guys are friends with all these guys, so it's hard to choose just one. All right. Well, so we jumped right in the lightning round. Let's slow it down now a little bit. But actually, we wanted to talk about your stories in a second. But uh, we wanted to get in this right away to talk about this project that you guys are working on now. You guys and your friend and podcaster and food writer, Andy Wang, around, what was it, 2017-ish or so around there, you guys started getting together and doing these dumpling crawls all through Southern California and Las Vegas, and you dubbed yourself the Dumpling Mafia. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so give us a a, a little quick hit on how you guys started that or why you guys started that. Or, or how the origin story of the Dumpling Mafia. So I knew both of them like kind of separately. And then when Shirley moved from Irvine up to Los Angeles, then it gave us an opportunity to get together all the time. Andy was a, Andy and I both moved to LA from New York. So all three of us really got a chance to explore the San Gabriel Valley or the SGV together uh-huh. because a lot of us hadn't been to a lot of those places we had never been. Um, so we started going and we hit two, sometimes three places in one day, <laughs> or we'd go to a food court where we could get to multiple places in one day. And um, we just kind of descend on these places and order all the dumplings and critique them and photograph them. And so I just thought like this gang of like the dumpling mafia. And when we started putting the hashtag all of our friends on social media would see these things and be like, well, I, I want to be a part of the, how do I get invited to dim sum? I want to go, you know, be part of the dumpling mafia. So we knew it was something that people wanted to join or become a part of. And Andy was the first one who sort of got into crypto. And so that's where the second part of the dumpling mafia came into being. Mm-hmm. Dumpling mafia NFT. So that's the newest project that three of us, and then, and then partner was CoinCloud, which is a crypto ATM company, and also a street artist, a local street artist in Los Angeles. Uh, so uh, we released a series of Delphi Mafia NFT. So for those people that don't know, is <laughs> yeah. there you, here I come. Um, is uh, ultimately it's JPEG, so digital art. It can be anything of the digital art. So for us, we have four characters: they pick dragon. A bow, a postures, a bowl, a wonton soup, and then with different uh, trays of uh, different things. So that is our NFT, but it's ultimately is the digital dumplings that live on the blockchain. Um, and so you can always trace who owns the ownership. So you can see every single transaction. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So this is the, all the excitement behind it. So there are cute arts that came out with us. So join the dumpling or purchasing the dumpling mafia NFT, then it's kind of like a membership to join dumpling mafia. Me and Carol, we've been we know each other for a really, really long time already. And I wanted to say Carol is almost like a key holder to a lot of my important stage of my career. <laughs> so the fact that now we're also part of this dumpling mafia, we release NFT together, and we can very proudly say that 
hey, this is a woman-led project. It's like right now, all the woman-led ifs, he is really popping right now. And there's just so much history uh, and then like feel good, friendship, all that behind it that I think it's just a, such a great project. Super fun. Yeah. So they can find you at, what's the easiest way for them to connect and, and maybe even join the mafia? If you go on the Instagram, that's probably best. So um, and there's a link in bio that has all the websites, but it's just Dumpling Mafia NFT. Okay. Like right. non-fungible token. So yeah, go check out. I'll put the I'll put the link in the description, or I'll put the uh, Instagram handle in the description. But you can also just Google Dumpling Mafia NFT, and it'll be the first thing that pops up. Exactly. And then I don't know if you heard it, but it surely has. Uh, she can ship you food from Miss Chi Cafe. You can try her world famous dumplings. You can even try her giant cheeseburger dumplings. A, a whole yeah. smoked tea duck. I'm kind of eyeing the Taiwan pork chops. I'm kind of keeping my eye on those. But yeah, she can ship it anywhere. Are we going just U.S. or can it go even further than the United States? Right now, just U.S. Okay. Uh, but we do, uh, to be, if you be part of Dumpy Mafia NFT, like you mean NFT or you own a boss. So anyway, there's a detail on our Instagram that will tell you exactly how to get there. But we are hosting a Lunar New Year event yeah. uh, with Go Belly and Dumpy Mafia together. Ooh. So if you own enough of bosses and the, uh, the old crew NFT, then you will have, we will send you a coupon code. So you will have access if you're in the United States that we actually give you a whole, uh, like a cook along demo kit with three different types of dumplings from me. Uh-huh. And then on February 17th, Lunar New Year Lantern Festival time that um, we're doing a cook-along uh, via Go Belly. Uh, so Ooh. it's kind of like a good perk for joining the dumpling market. Yeah, that's uh, a huge perk. Right yeah. Huge perk. Yeah, it's like, uh, so I all, all those sort of kind of things that we also design as we're creating our community. Um, but the cool thing is by joining the mafia, you have a lot of different access to us, to the mafia, also to me personally. So uh Either is digital digital event or in store restaurant events. Um, the mafia always comes first. <laughs> what was that date? One more time. The the February seventeenth. Okay. Thursday. A cook along with Chef Shirley. Wow. wow Mark wow. your calendar. Yeah, yeah. Fun, mm-hmm. fun, fun. All right. So uh, I'll put all those details. So those of you interested in there into something like that, and you can. See, uh, virtually cook along with Shirley or even go into the restaurant and, and, and see Shirley on, on, on different events. So really, really fun. All right. So we're going to talk. We're going to go back to the 90s a little <laughs> bit. To, let me give a little bit of background on on my sister Carol. I know Shirley, you were a you were a baby <laughs> in the '90s. Back in the '90s, or actually even before that, Carol, what what were your first food memories like growing up? I actually don't remember you eating a lot of different foods as a kid. You're a little bit picky, not as picky as me, but you're a little picky. What were your what were your food memories as a kid? Well, it's funny because. You know, now that I'm in the food business, people ask me if we were kind of if our parents were foodies or we were brought up that way. And I never that word wasn't around and we never called ourselves that. But looking back on it, they did take us to orchards to pick fruit. They did take us fishing or clam digging or, you know, we would go get Dungeness crab. And so there was a lot of things. We did do a lot of things like that, that, you know, we the summer spent at. Uncle Jim and Auntie Jones place up yeah. in Petaluma where we would have this vegetable garden all summer. So we would be able to pick corn and feed the chickens and gather eggs and um, pick zucchini and tomatoes right from the garden for dinner. So it was, we were exposed to all that and it wasn't really like a thing in, in the, in the eighties, yeah, yeah. but suddenly like now when I look back on it, I did have that experience, you know, it was kind of weird. <laughs> like, do you, do you ever think about that? that yeah. We were foragers before it was popular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like right now, it's a true California life. That's like a true yeah. California because my parents, because I came to the United States in the 90s, and then when I first came to America, and my grandpa was in Sonoma County, he was actually living in Sonoma, had his garden, so he was doing like R&D, tried to bring Yali from China type of pear, and then to grow in Sonoma and things like that. So yeah, like 
definitely grew up knowing the nature, know, knew where my food came from, knowing about seasonality of everything. And the same thing happened in Beijing too. So like you guys had like the perfect <laughs> Northern California life. <laughs> Only even as chef, we always talk about it, right? Northern California, Napa Valley, like San Francisco, like that part has like a specialty that nowhere else, even Los Angeles wouldn't be able to do is they would just be able to pick the perfect something, a pear, uh -huh. a perfect bowl of strawberry with nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and then just perfectly put it on a plate and present it. Oh, here you go. This is your dessert course. The perfect strawberry. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, no problem. $30. I'll buy it. But only that area. Yeah. Like where you grew up. Or where I, like, I'm kind of lucky. I kind of grew up there too, towards the end too. So I wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and. Our mom, surely you'll like this. Our mom used to do Chinese cooking lessons in our living room with her friends, uh, you know, in the 70s and early 80s, a bunch of, you know, Caucasian ladies who wanted to try to cook some Chinese food. And my mom would, would do little demonstrations and, and charge them, what, 10 bucks, five bucks, 10 bucks for materials. It might have been like 20 because you sat, they sat down and ate dinner after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Show me like a newspaper clip of like your mom's recipe or something like that. It was from like a Sunset while ago. Magazine. Oh my god, that is so cool. See, your mom was the original Asian celebrity chef before anything. <laughs> she was and still we're still newspapers till this yeah. day. We're like anytime. <laughs> it was a Sunset magazine, but same thing it was yeah. print, yeah. 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 Sunset magazine. We still have it. <laughs> Um, all right. So then in high school, I remember this. Uh, you got a job on West Portal at Cafe for All Seasons doing salad prep. Was that your first? Technically, it was college. I was in college by then. Oh, was that college? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But so, yeah. So it was cashiering and um, salad cold station. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it was then that you knew. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Uh, really wasn't yeah. it really wasn't yeah I, I mean i enjoyed it but it that still was like thinking i wanted to go into business and uh, going to berkeley for a history degree i have a degree in history yeah. like i don't know yeah. what that... so you graduate berkeley and with a degree in asian history <laughs> and you're mm -hmm. like okay wow. now what do i do and so you, yeah. you worked at some different retail jobs but then was it just in the in the classified ads how'd you get over at stars well, so it was when I was working in the corporate office for the Gap. So after, during college, I worked in the, the Gap stores, um, like in Berkeley, in LA at University of Hawaii, Manoa. I even worked at <laughs> La Moana for a semester. But um, when I graduated Cal, um, they offered me a job in the corporate office because the Gap's corporate office is in San Francisco. Yeah. yeah. So I was working in HR and my then boss, who's still a mentor to me, um, took me to lunch one day and he's like, so, you know, Chin, this is it. You want to be like vice president of the Gap or something? And, you know, I'm 20, I think I was 21 or 22. <laughs> and I was like, no. And he's like, well, what do you, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I think it'd be so cool to own a restaurant someday. I just really, I always wanted to, you know, I think I had friends that were starting to kind of be in the business and um, they and friends that honestly were more like club promoters at that point. But I just thought the whole hospitality scene, bars, restaurants was very cool. And he's like, so what's keeping you from doing that? And I was like, well, because my parents just put me through four years of college. So I don't think they want me to be a waitress. And he's like, mm, that's fair. And he didn't say anything else. But I left that lunch and just had like a quarter life crisis. Like, oh, my God, what am I doing? Like, I, I'm working 60 hours a week and I don't even want to do this. What am I? You know, so I, I started putting a resume together. And I just sent it to restaurants I had I'd eaten at. I, I didn't know anything about the chefs. There's no, this is going to date me. There's no internet. So there's no Eater. <laughs> there's no Google. Yeah. There's no Wikipedia. I am reading the food section for the San Francisco Chronicle or maybe Gourmet and Bon Appetit magazine. But that, that's how you read about chefs and restaurants. Like there was there was nothing else. Yeah. So I'm, I kind of just had to go on my personal experience. So I applied at restaurants I had dined at and liked. So one market. Um, Restaurant Lulu, remember that uh -huh. place by Mastoni, um, Post Trio, which was Wolfgang Puck's restaurant, and then Stars. And Stars is the only one that called me back. I had no restaurant experience. You have a degree in history yeah. and I've worked at the Gap. And so Stars calls me back and says, you know, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I'll answer phones or whatever. And they're like, okay, well, you can be a hostess. Um, you know, I'll give you, I get two dinners, like Monday and Tuesday dinner, and then 
crunches. <laughs> so like, it's like the worst schedule ever. <laughs> but I was like, so I, I made eight bucks an hour plus tips. And I, so I just quit my job at, at the Gap and went to go work with them. But stars in the 80s and yeah. the 90s, that was the That place. was pure luck yeah. that I ch- chose that restaurant because, I again, I didn't know who the chef was. It turned out he was pretty famous. It's <laughs> 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 ridiculous now, but... You oh, didn't have a magnificence. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so my chef, my first, this first sort of restaurant big job that I had was um, Jeremiah Tower at Stars Restaurant. He was the uh, chef at Chez Panisse, sold his shares and opened Stars in San Francisco. And, um, you know, Harvard educated architect um, just decided he wanted to be a chef. And, yeah. um, but just such a character, also a mentor to me still in touch with him also mm. um, very much a larger than life sort of figure of a bon vivant as we would say. And um, he very influential on my career. So working for him was how I met everybody. Yeah. And he, <laughs> he burned bright for those, for those years. He burned really bright. And, yeah. everyone... and, and what Shirley was talking about, if there is a um, Netflix documentary about him called the last magnificent, which is um, produced by Anthony Bourdain. Yeah, which is pretty amazing. And I believe your name is in the credits at the end. Special thanks. <laughs> to, thank you. <laughs> special thanks. Uh, to some of the photos and menus and press releases I had, I still have. The stories, yeah. And so yeah, the story. Yeah. So you're working. You're working at Stars, and then you get you get shifted over to the private room, the Redwood Room, <laughs> I believe it was mm-hmm. called, and that's where you meet you meet tons of people: Arnold Schwarzenegger. Lee, Luciana Pavarotti, you meet a bunch of people coming through. No, those were actually events in the whole restaurant. Oh, okay. So I so uh, I did do events, but then um, some of the bigger events were buyouts of the whole restaurant. So we did an event for Julia Child uh, um, with Alice Waters, and uh, and it just and we did this uh, dinner for Pavarotti, which was a benefit for KQED. And then somehow yeah, your name gets floated over at Bon Appetit magazine all the way in New York. <laughs> Someone. Someone finds you or hears about you. How Although, did that... I, I, I called them because okay. we had done a couple events. I had flown to Chicago with Jeremiah and done an event with them. And then they filmed a like a uh, cooking demo video in at Stars. So I had worked with them on a couple projects. And I reached out and I said, hey, I'm kind of thinking about moving to New York. I don't write or sell advertising, but I'd love to you know, work with you guys. What do you think? And they're like, well, we're going to hire someone to do all of our events. Do you want to do that? I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> Wow. So, so, I mean, this is like a big job. I moved myself there. I'm 20, I think I was 27 when I moved. Um, I moved myself there. I made $45,000 a year. And I was, I literally carried Bradshaw. I lived in a shoebox apartment, a, a studio in the West Village. I was out every night of the week. I had no money, but I just lo- like, yeah. it was just the best, best time, best place to be. Yeah. And this coincides with the food industry especially like the the celebrity kind of chef kind of era yeah this is the 90s and a little network called the food network starts up and they start hitting you up for events and and so describe this era for us a little bit in the early 90s yeah well i mean what i think was funny and i don't know well when you get to shirley's story she'll kind of will probably intersect a little bit but what i think was funny about that time not funny but interesting to me now when i think about it um, I was the only Asian woman I knew in that circle. So certainly in New York, um, there were not really, I didn't even know any Asian guys. Like there were just no other, everyone was supposed to be a doctor or a lawyer. So there were no like party planners yeah. at Bon Appetit. Um, but, but it kind of worked for me in a weird way. Like people always talk about the struggle of being the first and the first to do anything. And, and I was, I actually milked, it was great because I would do these events um, once a year, like the James Beard Awards or some of these food festivals I would do. And I would see people like Emerald or Bobby Flay or whatever. They knew me because I was the only yeah. Asian woman they would <laughs> the see all hair. year. <laughs> so it was like I stuck out. Like now there's influencers and writers and chefs and photographers. Like, but 1993, I was kind of the only one. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. mean, I was definitely the only one that I knew. Um, there were certainly um, a couple uh, chefs and cookbook authors and 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 people like that. But in terms of like PR and um, marketing and what I was doing. And Asian American, you know, there there were chefs from China or, you know, chefs from all over, but Asian. Yeah, there was Martin Yan, there was Susanna Fu in Philadelphia. Uh, there were, you know, definitely a few. Yeah. 
Linda, Linda Anna Susanan, I forget her name. She worked at Sunset Magazine, but there, there weren't a lot of us. So um, it helped me. It was like, yeah. not, instead of being a disadvantage, it actually was an advantage. Yeah. So it helped me network um, because then when I would call Emeril, even though I only saw him once or twice a year, he'd be like, oh, hey, Carol, what's going on? You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it was interesting for me that way. Um, but so, yes, it was a great time, right place, right time. I kind of came up with all those people with the coinciding with the Food Network's rise with when celebrity chefs, before that people knew the restaurant, like they knew it was a good restaurant, but they may not have known who the chef was, but starting in 19, you know, the late nineties and then when Food Network, then they started to know who the chef was yeah. and pay attention to that. Yeah. And they wanted to meet them and they wanted to mm -hmm. eat there just to meet them. Yeah. yeah. So interesting times. And so you're working at Boy of Tea and you're doing these big food events, South Beach Food and Wine. What else are you doing? You're doing... Well, I know you did San Francisco. And then we also, we would do all these, like we did the Celebrity Chef Ski Race, the Celebrity Chef Golf Tournament, the Celebrity Chef Poker Tournament. <laughs> I, I actually even once did a Celebrity Chef Bowling Tournament. Like <laughs> we mastered the art of the chef event. Um, we had a lot of fun doing just crazy events like that. Um, I got to go to the Cannes Film Festival for three years um, with Bon Appetit Magazine. Um, I mean, I never wanted to leave. That job was amazing. I never wanted to leave. <laughs> On an ass building. Yeah, it was fun times. Mm -hmm. I got to visit you yeah. a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so all this time you're building, like, this is an old term, but you're building up your Rolodex, right? You're just, and that, that's kind of what Carol's known for, right? It's like, you know, you need to know, you need to be connected with someone in the industry. You, you call up Carol Chin and she'll know, she'll know someone. Who exactly. Knows. Yeah. And so you're building up this resume and then... Cali I guess you got tired of New York winters <laughs> and you came out to California and Las Vegas and you started doing more events out here and you started your own company, uh, Carol Chin Culinary Consulting, and mm -hmm. you started working for Tartine, a bunch of different things. But while you're in Vegas, you meet a young up and coming chef <laughs> named Shirley Chung. Uh, Shirley, so born in Beijing. Yeah. And um, I heard something about your grandmother. Your grandmother was the head of the Red Cross in China. Is that? Yeah, so she was the head of Red Cross in China for a few years. And my grandfather was uh, director, assistant director of WHO. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. The first term representing China, but he was actually Chinese American. So there's like a big background story of like my family uh, from China uh, who they are. So probably another show. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but it's interesting because Curtis and I both had grandparents and a great grandmother born here in America. You also had grandparents in America. Oh. Yeah. So I'm like, uh, so my grandfather, so Chong family is, I'm the fifth generation of Chong in America, oh. uh, because my great grandfather's from Zhongshan, uh, came to, uh, the Sanjuba Valley came to uh, Southern California in 1900. I thought because I read my grandfather's book is 1900 as a Chinese herbalist, as a doctor. Uh, but my grand aunt corrected me. So they're all like in their 90s. Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> they actually wrote me an email, very formal. Uh, yes, it is true that you are the fifth generation of Trump. But your great grandfather actually came to United States in like 1880s or uh, something like that uh, so like before the 1900s so that's what they tried to tell me i was like oh okay so my <laughs> grandpa was born uh 1903 uh uh here in pasadena and graduated from uh, los angeles high school and he went back to china to study medicine uh, uh at age 17 and then he met my grandmother in beijing university uh while studying and then like after two years of university together then the uh, japan start attacking china so my grandmother and her friends and my grandpa mainly my grandmother started a student revolution uh called the december 9th a student revolution of beijing so that literally uh start the mark of how they started to fight against uh uh, uh japan army and military all those robbers so it was like crazy and then oh. and then my grand great both of my grandparents were wounded by the government so they started their escaping the whole entire china <laughs> whole journey throughout the way they taught people how to read and write so like they're like amazing wow. uh, they came to america they escaped all the way to hong kong and then came to america in 1941 
finish, my grandfather finished his medical degree in Harvard. My grandma finished his heart history degree in USC. Wow. And then uh, and then they, they had a life in America. My father and my aunt was all born in America. My grandpa had a clinic in uh, New York, a pediatrician. And then, uh, but 1949, the new Republic China uh, formed. My grandmother, because they were part of Communist Party or, oh. or already, but just that then there's no formal name for Communist Party yet. When oh. they were, so later on, so they went back to China to join the Communist Party. And then, oh. and then my grandpa got thrown in jail. So it was like the back and forth of oh, rotation of immigrants. So, and then yeah. ended up, I was like my I was born in China, came to came back to America in age 17, also because my father's political reasons. So it's like my whole family is all wow. a lot. Man. You're rebels. Uh, You're you know, all rebels. Mavericks, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like really briefly story. So like my family timeline touches like the World War II, the Cultural Revolution, uh-huh. and then later on. Uh, the Tiananmen Square massacre by the new uh, Chinese communist government. So like literally every single sort of like modern Chinese history marks all happened to my family. And then that result, uh, that was the reason that my family had to circulate migration between China and United States because of all this political uh, event that's happening, that's affecting our family. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. That is a whole show. Typical <laughs> immigrant story. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, yes, it's generations of immigrants. Yeah. Like so, especially I mean, like because my cousins and my aunts and uncles and a lot of them they're like Chinese American in the Silicon Valley. Fifth generation never move, stay here all the way. Yeah. Where my grandfather, uh, like, and with my grandmother, and then my father, and my mother, and then me. Now we're just like <laughs> every single generation we have like. Yeah, a move. <laughs> <laughs> so this probably influenced you as a as a kid. You you probably tried some foods and and heard about some things that other kids in China had never heard of. So when so you came to America for college? Yeah, I came to California for college. So Fremont, East Bay. All right, and, the Bay Area. And, that was like my first town. Like so, I also I also sometimes I say I grew up in Fremont because that's like my my first American memory. Uh, is growing up in a like, little cute, perfect town of Fremont. Has the, <laughs> like, I remember my dad picked Fremont, and because there was like an article came out, it was the best town in the United States, number one, ranked number one. <laughs> so my dad thought, "Oh, we're moving there." <laughs> oh man, whoever did. So he had a business in the Silicon Valley, uh-huh. so like it makes sense. He was living in San Jose before me and my mom moved to uh, came to America to join him. So he started first. He came to America first to start a life. Um, so, like, no, I talk about it a lot, like in podcasts and also the things I write is, I think it's because my unique background of this circular migration on my family. So through growing up, when I was in Beijing, like my family, like we didn't grow up in soybean milk or fried uh, uh, tail donut, Chinese donut. We grew up in, I get to drink coffee ever since I was little, even though it's like Asian style coffee, it's a tiny little bit of coffee, a lot of creamer, uh-huh. you know, like the white coffee yeah, style, yeah, yeah. but I get to taste that. That's like my, my palate. We ate like hot dogs and fried sunny set of <laughs> eggs with white toast as, you know, breakfast and sometimes with soybean milk. So, so I, and then, so I always grew up and then Beijing's culture is so conservative and it's so rich, but I think it's such a big melting pot because it's been the capital of China for so thousands of years. So it's like, so like, I, I feel like I always grew up with this kind of like, sometimes it's like slightly conflicting, but it's always like this like giant melting pot of culture, a lot of East and West, a lot of always surrounded by a lot of new and old. Uh-huh. And so growing up and then I came to America at this like tender age of 17, how awkward, like, uh-huh. you know, like I, I, I was hating my parents for dragging me left my friend that I grew <laughs> up with. Like with no relatives, that uh, you just felt me in this. Like, well, I remember my my dad picked me up in San Francisco, and I look around. I was like, oh, this like the painted ladies are really cute and stuff. And then uh, he started driving into like the Hayward, past the bridge of San Mateo, <laughs> and driving to Fremont. I was like, why are you taking me? Why are this like there's cow? Are we going to a village? Like from Beijing, are you taking me to a village? And then like we pull up to this apartment building, and I was like. 
because uh, you know like I, I grew up we we slide I was slightly spoiled I my grandmother we had drivers and <laughs> we had I had two full-time nannies when I was little you know I saw like first I feel up and then like I look at our apartment building I was like we have to live in apartments <laughs> to share with people we have to share our yard we drive ourselves now you know like all this the shop and then you're taking me like everybody's oh America is so glamorous so awesome and I was like that's funny oh man so like, so like, and then and then and then and then for me then my my parents threw themselves into work and like they worked in the silicon valley you know like they're like trying to like now they're they're trying to in their 40s and trying to restart everything sure. and and then so like for me like i just stay home by myself a lot and i the way i learned english is actually what carol chin that generation started that i watched the food network <laughs> you know like because i always love to eat and that my our apartment was next to a lucky supermarket so every day after school, I would just go into the supermarket, walk up and down the aisle and look at labels. Ever since I was little, I always like to read random <laughs> things. So like I would read labels and then read signs and to learn English and then buy food to try. And I was like, oh, why is this salary taste like water? It's like, you know, like everything is so big, but not flavorful. So like, and then like, so I started to watch Food Network to try to figure out how to use this like, electrical stove and how to use oven to cook. It's all the new things uh -huh. that I don't have in China, but I always love to cook ever since I was little. And then came to America, I learned how to like English and like learn to speak English. A lot of part is really through cooking labels and watching cooking shows. So I probably always talk like I'm hosting a demo, cooking demos because I learned English from, from Uncle Emerald. And Rachel Ray. <laughs> and but, but the so the identity part. So like when I was growing up in China, I'm kind of like Westernized. So a little bit Americanized. And then now I'm in America. I'm very Chinese. <laughs> so it's always so like, for me, and I had this like very awkward teenage time that like everybody hates me already, and I had to learn this brand new culture, and I like, and I love food, and you know like, and so like there's nothing good to eat, so that's why I fell in love with chicken McNuggets and paleo <laughs> fish because that's like McDonald's next to my house. You know, like all this is like my whole life is always now I think about it is always thread through food. It's like yeah. I like a big part of my identity is through food. Yes, it is 100%. <laughs> so like the way I cook nowadays is really like kind of like it's my journey through life. Mm. So it's like my progressive Chinese American way is really through like just in search of exactly who I am, what's authentic to me because my this very strange, unusual migration, like, you know, like because how I grew up and my upbringing. So it's all kind of translating into my food. Yeah. Yeah. So you start working in a cubicle in Silicon Valley or, or you start working in a day job and you say to yourself, what am I doing? <laughs> Pretty much. But I know I, I do have to say though, it was good times because it was the beginning of the Silicon Valley boom. Mm. And uh, so I would be able to uh, jump around a lot. Like the only reason that, so I supposed to be a doctor, you know, <laughs> as everybody else. And that's why I have my little sister now who was born and raised in America. And she's like 18 years younger than me. Uh -huh. She is graduating. Like she just finished her medical school, graduating from UC Davis. All right. Ooh. Yeah. So finally, <laughs> finally, I'm so relieved now. My family, off. my generation, she's the only doctor. Uh. You know, you know how much pressure <laughs> our generation kids get. Like yeah. no doctor came out. Finally, there's one graduating. Like she's becoming one. Woo. All right. So, so, but I, my chemistry was really bad. So I couldn't like pass my chemistry. And then, so my dad was an engineer because my dad's an engineer, right? Like he's into semiconductor. He has a semiconductor company in the Silicon Valley. He's just like going in the Silicon Valley to be an engineer. So I study industrial engineer. Why? I don't know why. Industrial engineer for a hot second. Oh, because my dad had a factory. Industrial engineer for like a hot second. I hated it. And then I was just like, hey, my life. My dad said, like, you should just like, I was in Dienza. Okay, everybody, uh -huh, Dienza. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. so I was in all this, I was in Dienza. And then my dad finally was like, you're just wasting your life. Can you just do something already? Why don't you just get a business degree? Anybody can get a business degree. Just go get a business degree. So I got a business degree. So I transferred to uh, uh, Cal State Hayward, uh, University of East Bay now, I believe. Uh -huh. So, you know, like, the business school is okay. I'm sorry. I did. I couldn't get into Berkeley. Like, don't think you guys, you are like, 
the overachiever that my, my dad was like, you, if my parents know you, you, they will go so like, you should be friends with Carol Chin. She still went to Berkeley. You know what I mean? Like, my mom well, Kurt, said, oh, and my Curtis God. went to Davis. I went to so. Davis, yeah. He's oh, like, you where you're, no, you're Davis is amazing. I, I'm a Kel stay. I'm sorry. I'm no, not, no, no, you know, no. Don't apologize. I'm not, I'm Kel. Well, my mom is like, yeah. No, we love the Cal stay like, system, too. We love the Cal Is that what, what all the parents start talking about? My parents just turn around and like, no. For the longest time, they're like, yeah, Kel stay here. Like, like, all my friends. It's like, growing up in Fremont already, like, I was American high school. We're like, okay, American high school. <laughs> all other parents are like missions and all that. And then college time, like all other kids are graduated from UC Berkeley, Stanford, ugh, private school, all those kids. And then you're like, where'd your daughter go? I'll say, hey, where? You know, you get me. But anyway, finally now my parents can know it. Have you met my parents? Me and my daughter, the celebrity chef, Shirley Chow. <laughs> yeah. so many years has been working to her staff. And finally, everybody's, oh yeah? They can brag your daughter about you. is doctor. My my daughter's celebrity <laughs> Finally. Finally. <laughs> ah. Hello. Like, you have to be multiple times on Top Shop. One time, no, 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 no. It's only one time. The second time, my mom be on. That's the only time it's actually this is like now she's just like I be on Top Shop. So yeah. <laughs> like now she can finally show off. The first time is not even good enough. The second time is like a little bit. And then she goes like, ah, you know when. Uh. <laughs> classic. Oh, Asian parents. Classic. Oh, classic. Uh. Like, you want us to talk about, like, the classic Asian parents, <laughs> like, dynamic, like, my family, 100% classic. <laughs> and you get it. You have a, my younger sister is a doctor. <laughs> She's a doctor. Overachiever doctor. Oh, and I'm like, you know what I mean? Like, like, I'm a chef. Like, well, polar opposite. Well, she had to be a doctor or, or else she'd be in your shadow. You know, she had to, she had that, to get that, that on her that's resume. That's 100% what she said when she was in college. <laughs> she was like, when she was in college, I was on Top Shop. And then, like, there start articles. She starts seeing press reporting about me and all those sort of things. And then, I guess, she won an election in her university. So, like, the local uh, Sacramento paper, Sacramento B or something like that, talk about it. Is it Sacramento? Yeah, Sacramento yeah, yeah. B or something like that. Talk about it. So the, the day that on Facebook, my parents posted something that, oh, surely on this, like they talk about her, her experience on Top Chef. And then my sister had to post that. I mean, newspaper too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, she's amazing. Yeah. She's, she's way better. Like she inspired me to be better. Like she is so, such a like society loving and has political goal wants to you know get into the medical field not to make money but really to she wants to save save children and push uh -huh. universal health care and then like everything about her is like i was like wow yeah. i i wasn't thinking that deep when i was your age it's so. hard to be a chung man you gotta you gotta you gotta either be on tv or be a doctor wow good thing there's not a third kid that third kid's gonna have would have had rough <laughs> <laughs> Kids. No, I, don't have, I don't want to have children. Yeah. <laughs> so much pressure. Ah, oh, man, fun story. So you go to uh, Culinary Academy here in San Francisco. All right, shout out to the Culinary Academy Every all the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you start working, and you get you get hired at some of these really really top restaurants, and you start working. And I think if you if you watch carefully at, on Anthony Bourdain's No Reservation season one episode seven. There's a young Shirley Chung at the Oyster Bar, I believe, <laughs> working, working there. Ushaw, Las Vegas. Yeah. What? What was that? What? Two thousand five. Yeah, five, right? I think so. Five. Yeah. Wow. See how? That's actually my first America TV camera. Yeah. See, the camera loved you and found you on the Oyster Bar, and so you start doing more, um, more cooking with with these top chefs and people that you. That you you've seen on TV, I'm sure, and you know everyone knows Thomas Keller and and, and Mario Batali, and then you get a phone call, or how does the Top Chef thing work? Yeah, you, you, well, you apply. Or? I throw. I work through uh, Vegas, but like I like I started after culinary school. I started in uh, um, Bouchang Yangville, so the original Bouchang, mm. and then 
TK said that oh, he wants to open Busan Las Vegas. So like I was, oh, I want to go to Vegas. I used to go party there a lot. <laughs> Working there is very different yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. But, so I, I went to Vegas. So I had like 13 year career run in Las Vegas uh, for all those amazing shots that um, you talk about. That's how me and Carol Chin went, uh, met. So we met in that Bon Appetit event world that like she will come to Vegas and then, you know, like chefs are crazy. I try to manage all the chefs. <laughs> It's like the most impossible thing. So like she saw me, I'm sure like she, cause I'm one of the, the only Asian chef, the only female Asian chef running around among all those white chefs. And then I'm like the chef to cuisine for Marvitali. And then all those boys have to kind of listen to me, even though my <laughs> boss, like they're my boss, but then they listen to me, you know, cause uh-huh. like we can, we can manage them though. So I just remember all those like fancy big events on cores and courses or whatever. Every single time, it doesn't matter who I, who I was working for, I will be left Marabutali team already working for Jose Andres. And I'm not with Thomas Keller anymore, but literally Carol didn't have anything. She's just like, Shirley, can you go find this chef XYZ? I was like, I don't work for TK anymore. She's like, but you know where Devin is? I was like, you're right. And then, or she's just like, hey, the Batali team, where are they? I was like, oh, they're late. They're looking for this XYZ. And she's just like, can you tell them to carry up? I was like, okay, hold on. So I was literally became like Carolchin's chef coordinator. Oh no, chef wrangler. <laughs> chef wrangler in Las Vegas. <laughs> and then like and then there'll be like chefs like fully clothed and throw things away and then try to steal things from the <laughs> festival because they're drunk. <laughs> no, it's just because they're drunk. Like that's another chef, story. When chefs get drunk and then a lot of us all get together and over events or the event after party is the most epic parties ever. But also us the event, you know the, the, the person that's hosting them, I'm sure it's the biggest headache ever that all this crazy chef that's drunk. Amazing story, <laughs> but crazy. And so, so like, so I had an amazing run in Las Vegas and then the Top Chef Master was filming in Cosmopolitan Hotel uh, for their, one of their season. And then when they were filming, and then I was the chef for Chino Bugano for Jose Andre. So it's half Mexican and half Chinese. So that's actually the first time ever professionally I started cooking my heritage, right? Yeah. My, my my cuisine. I didn't want to, but like Jose Andres was like, you're cooking it. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 as I was the chef for Chino Poblano and the top chef production team, and everybody just keep on coming into the restaurant to eat. And then so the five that one after they filmed, they were start uh, looking for season 11's uh, chef contestants. Uh, for regular top show, so they came back to Cosmo to headhunt me to look for me to be uh, to compete. And then that time that I tried to leave Vegas because it was Vegas, so literally every two years I was like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna leave Vegas. <laughs> There's always a new celebrity chef open, they will headhunt me, so I was okay, I guess I stay. <laughs> so that's why, like 13 years later, I finally like I was like, I don't want to stay in Vegas anymore. I'm gonna move, so I quit. Uh, Chino Poblano already, and Top Chef kept going back to Chino Poblano to look for me. And then there, so I did this interview on blah, blah, blah. And then, so, and then, so I didn't think about it. I was like, okay, bye. I'm going, I'm going back to China because <laughs> I had a trip planned. <laughs> so I left. And then when I was in China, in Sichuan, traveled through the mountain, couldn't get in touch with them. I guess they were looking for me. And then finally they located me. And then, uh, and then as soon as I came back from China, they flew me from Vegas to Los Angeles for the final interview. And then after my interview, a day later, they announced it on deadline or whatever. They announced the people that's going to compete at that season. So that's how I got the top show. Oh, wow. The first time. Wow. You know, it was like crazy. And I didn't want it to. And Jimmy Lee, my husband, was like, what are you going to do? You got no job lining up. You just decided <laughs> that, okay, I'm going to move back to California. Where we, we have two houses. And it's like, literally, it's like, we had no preparation. I just decided that. <laughs> Like, we should move back to California. <laughs> so I quit my job. <laughs> and then, and then uh, I like, I, I wanted, I do want to say I'm extremely lucky in that way that I have a very great supportive group. Like, even though my family, my, my parents hated me, didn't talk to me for two years for being a chef. <laughs> and then there's Jimmy, but then I just like, because of my support, the, because of my family and my friends, I was be able to do a lot of crazy decisions. And then at that moment sounds extremely crazy, like leave a great job and leave a great show and leave a this. But then I always resolve into something bigger and better yeah. happen in my life. Yeah. So my impulse the decisions is thanks to my friends, like Carol Chin, like my husband Jimmy Lee, like everybody around me, surrounding me that's supporting me, feeling 
this, what I want, and then pushing me to the next level. So, so far, it's so good. You know, we're, we're going to leave on a cliffhanger here because I think we're kind of up against an hour here. We don't want to go too long in episode number one, but we got more stories, people. So if you are if you are hanging on to Shirley's story, we are just getting started with our Top Chef stories, and we'll talk a lot more in part two next week. But if you have a, a memory of Shirley on, on Top Chef, cooking with chilies or, or almost getting eliminated, whatever memory you have, write to us at infatuationpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow us at Instagram at the Infatuation Podcast. Where can people follow you guys? Where, 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 what's the best socials for you? Well, thankfully, our parents spelled both my first and last name really weird. So <laughs> <laughs> it's Carol C A R Y L Chin C H I double N. Um, so at Carol Chin. Easy, easy. So we'll put Carol that. Chin. Yeah. Carol Chin.com, Carol Chin Twitter, Carol Chin Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> Shirley, where can people find you? For me, I spell Sheffler, so instead of C-H-E-F, I spell C-H-F, Shirley Chang, and you just spell everything else, C-H-F, Shirley Chang. So a lot of times, once you put in C-H-F-S-H, I will pop up. So uh. <laughs> IG, Twitter, what else? Facebook, well, thing. Pe- I'm Facebook with Chef Shirley Chang. So people will find me. All right. So, so uh, if you want to know more about uh, Shirley or Carol, you can follow them there or tune in next week for episode part two. But uh, thank you both for talking with us for a while. Uh, we have more episodes coming soon. We got part two of this. And then also we have some Asian scientists to come talk to us. So we're going to talk to some PhDs. We have a lot of random topics. We're going to talk about true crime, but it'll be fun. So uh, come along, listen to our new episodes, follow us on Instagram to know what's going on. So until then, on behalf of my sister, Carol, and my other sister, Shirley, (laughs) we uh, thank you all for listening, and we hope that you're all happy, healthy, and safe out there. Thanks for listening, and bye. 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 All right. I will edit all that in. Let me let Madison in. So she's a... I'll introduce you in a second. <laughs> hey, Maddie. Hi, Madison. She's <laughs> professional. She has a headset and a I know. Yeah. everything. Yeah, Maddie's a singer, uh, songwriter, perform a musician, also high school student in AP Bio. <laughs> yes, <laughs> most importantly. <laughs> and so this is my sister Carol up in there, Hi. over there, and uh, Chef Shirley over there on the bottom. Nice to meet you both. Hi. Nice to meet you. We just wrapped up part one. Is my volume fine? Uh, it's a little low. You want to up, up it a little bit? What about now? Uh, I think it's fine. We could always more gain. Okay. This reminds me of that time when I had this mixtape I really liked, and my brother recorded an intro to it over the beginning of this tape. <laughs> so I was I like listening to it randomly in my my car or something, just like, hey, what's this? Uh, yeah. yeah, there's it's my sister's mixtape. And then it's like and then the song started I'm like, hey, what was that? <laughs> that was my early radio career. Early podcasting, uh yeah. <laughs> oh, I had a radio career in San Francisco. Did you? 93.1. Chinese FM, Amazing. Did Shirley crack you up with her stories? Like some of those I've never even heard. <laughs> yeah. Well, the problem is Shirley is is so shy and quiet and yeah, you know, it, it was so hard shy. to get her to talk. <laughs> hey Curtis, so are you part of I think it's called because you talk about angry Asian man, Phil. He's also my friend. He, oh, is he? he and Jeff Young, that's they call me Bruce. I think I was yeah. on I was on episode three or something. Like I was like oh, wow. on there like back in the days already. They have a thing a called network, yeah. Collective or something like yeah. that, right? Are you part of that? Because it's all Asian Asian podcasters. <laughs> I wish. No, I'm too little. I'm I'm nobody. <laughs> No, their their network is good. Yeah, they they have a good group of. They have like eight different podcasts, I think. Yeah, they're tiny. They started really tiny too. So why are you shy? Just reach out, Curtis. Don't be shy. Do you want me to connect well, you? you? Know, uh, <laughs> see, you're saying as my sister. You you think a lot. Well, let me warm up a little bit, Shirley. Okay. I gotta I gotta get. Well, well, this episode will put me on the map. This yeah, is the one. Exactly. You know, this is the one that's gonna launch the well, podcast. I was like the 
their first couple episodes for a lot of them. So like, yeah, you're the good like, luck charm. Yeah, I don't want to say I open the door for them, but I definitely want to say I feel like I'm their good luck charm. So I I was on one many of their original episodes. So ah. like this all fitting. Yeah, yeah I was on like luck. episode three for they call me Bruce. And then, like, and then, like, first of all, I was on episode two or something like that. So, uh-huh. well, you're a great interview. That's why you know everyone wants you on. Yeah, yeah. You should connect. You should connect him though, because he's always saying to me, like, Madison, how are we gonna get cool people to be on the podcast? <laughs> see, see. But I do have to say though, Curtis, it's a great decision that you have Madison on your team. So literally, you just change our crew factor and also change our average age. Into yeah. a lot lower. That's <laughs> yes. cool factor. Really good. Yeah, for sure. Really good. She does Thank my you, social Madison, media. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You are yeah. the cool factor. You will, you make Curtis so much more cool. You're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Curtis Madison is your intern. Good job. Yeah. I'm gonna have her. I'm gonna have her start asking people. She's gonna, you know, she's gonna email Aquafina and say, oh, you know, I'm a high schooler. Sure, totally. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, if I ask her, she'll say no. But if a high schooler, exactly. you know, I'm just exactly. Yeah. He, he's already telling me about my fans and all the people that DM him. No, people, people, people tell me we want more Madison, less of you. Oh, perfect. I agree. Yeah. No, 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 just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> no, I agree too. I'm I so agree shy too. though. It's so hard for me to talk. But it's okay, Madison. But you use podcasts as your platform. You practice, and then later on in real life, you're less shy. Exactly. This is what you know. Okay, so when I was at. San Francisco, 93.1. Uh-huh. 90, no, 96. Sorry, 96.1 FM. 96.1 FM. It was belonged to Xindao newspaper. Right, right. Xindao newspaper is Chinese radio station. I had two shows. So I had uh, one show was on Thursday night about traveling. And then Sunday, I had a show from midnight to 6 a.m., six hours straight. And I had to talk by myself, like play music. So I have like... Oh. So I had midnight ghost story uh, uh, time <laughs> because why are you in San Francisco? There's a lot of ghost story on Bay Bridge uh-huh. and Golden Gate, uh, Golden Gate Park. There's a lot, so people will call in, and there's a lot of people that used to work in the sewing machine, so ch- all Chinese people. So that at three o'clock, I would play Chinese oldie. So I have like a whole thing. Yeah, I have my own program. <laughs> I was my own producer. So that's amazing. Thing. So that's why I can talk nonstop because I used to have to fill six hours, six hours of talking time. Why do you think I get to sit here to do this? This is like nothing. I have someone to talk to. Normally I have to pretend. Go hey, somebody call. No, nobody call. I pretended. That's so fun. Oh, Wait, that was then, my college time. How did you, how did you how did you get into cooking then from that? Um. I uh she failed this business. <laughs> she failed this. No, search. I didn't. And so I was working in the Silicon Valley and then um my company, the company I was with was going out of business. Not me, the company. The whole yeah. entire market was failing. <laughs> yeah. And then that time that me and my husband like we were like got engaged and pretty serious. And he's just like, you should do something you love. So I always hated office job. I always loved cooking. So we used to print out the best restaurant of San Francisco. Like mm-hmm. top 100, going down the list and then just go eat. So I ate in French Laundry before I started working for it. So like all these restaurants, I actually uh-huh. ate them all and I love them. And then on the weekend, sometimes I will try to recreate a restaurant dishes. So I always love to cook. So my friends will come go like their birthday party. They were like, hey, I wanted to have this restaurant, this dish. Can you make it? And I still remember that when Michelle Richard uh had like Gary Danko's last location was Michelle Richer's restaurant. So I mm-hmm. went to Michelle Richer's restaurant that I love Sierra Foie so much that me, like 21 years old, who's my ex-boyfriend, so two kids, oh, there are four portions of Sierra Foie Gras because we loved it so much. So like that was our life in the Silicon Valley. So we made a lot of money. We we I I I had a lot of Monolo Monic because that was sex in the city time. I drove Multiple, <laughs> I changed, I used to drive different sports cars, race cars, like, because I love cars, love fast cars, and I love to eat. So we would eat all the fancy restaurants. Because <laughs> I used to make a lot of money and don't have to pay rent. Why you make 90000 you don't have to make, pay rent? You live in the Bay Area, uh-huh. it's good life. Yeah, <laughs> no kids, yeah. yeah. No Girl kids. boss. <laughs> totally. 
right? Yeah. And then so that's what I did. And then so I have five years of that in the Silicon Valley. And then so I decided I love food. I love cooking. I can do this professionally. No, I was just a housewife being like thinking that I can do it. So I went to culinary school and it was really hard. And then I went to extern in uh, French Laundry and Bouchon. The first extern was three months. You go there without pay. The first month, they almost fired me. You don't fire extern. I almost got fired by Thomas Keller <laughs> for working for free. <laughs> I almost got fired for working for free. Mr. Chen, don't fire me, please. Yeah. And then, because I was like a princess. I tried to wear high heels in the kitchen. <laughs> it's You're okay. Manola that would be me. Also, I have all these high heels. You tell me I can't wear this anymore? I didn't think this through. Like, I totally didn't think, like, well, be shabby, can I wear high heels? Because like, I didn't think that through. But yeah, that's how I started to cook. It's actually like, went in there and thinking that, oh, I can do this. This is easy. And then realized, and then also thinking that I have a lot of relationship in the Silicon Valley. If this cooking thing didn't work out, I would just come back. It worked out. Yeah. yeah. I feel like young people always have so much pressure to like figure out what they want to do in like high school. It's like you ha- you should know what you want to do when you go to college. But that goes to show that no. it's never too late to just it's follow what late. you want to do. A hundred percent. That's why. Okay, so my first restaurant that I left, <laughs> but I named after was the age I started cooking, 28. I actually yeah. changed oh. career at age 28. Mm-hmm. I yeah, love yeah. that. So I'm always, but then also I'm forever 28. I'm, I never <laughs> age. Okay. I just stay, look at me. Like this is 28. Yeah. I will forever be 28. <gasps> yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> She's just like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Auntie, Auntie Shirley, mm-hmm, thank you. <laughs> but yes, I, that's why I want to say like, I'm 100% one of that. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Like I changed my major multiple times throughout college as I shared earlier. And then like, and I like, I was like working as a radio radio station host for like one and a half years. And then after graduate, I was like, oh, maybe I can do this. No, they don't pay the bill. And then, so I work in the Silicon Valley and didn't know what I wanted to do. So I, I jump from one startup to another startup. So the timing was good because like, Every single job, you make 20 more thousand. Every single job, you make 20 more <laughs> yeah, thousand. You don't yeah. do anything. There's one job yeah. that would just sit there and smoke pot. Like, seriously, if you're like, oh, <laughs> you need to be creative. This is like, oh my God. Out, time. like smoking yeah. break? Okay, let's go downstairs. Everybody's smoking pot. What? And then, like, like, we party in San Francisco, 1015 Folsom. Like, I asked Carol about that. Like, you know, like, um, I will be partying from Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. All four days. Yes, I'll be staying there for f- till 4 a.m. So I, that was me. I'm one of those, like, <sighs> cut a lot of school and I'm surprised that I graduated. So I, I 100% am like that. Like, I'm, I'm like, ew. Good thing we didn't talk kid. about this on the podcast, Shirley. Who knew you were Oh, we're putting this in. We're, we're going to put this in. Double. <laughs> No, I was never people because people always, oh, you must be an overachiever because look at my sister. My sister's like A plus plus, right? I was like, no, I was not an overachiever. I was like, can I get by? Can I cheat? Can I? I'm the one that missing school in Cal State Hayward and I would go into a library and always looking for the guy that oh there's always an Asian guy willing to do anything for you. I'll be just like <laughs> look pay them and I sit next to them and go, hi, I missed some notes. Can you help me? Oh my God. Like, we're like, graduate essay that you have to like i don't know like that time there's internet already i copied paste a lot (laughs) (laughs) now the secret's out so like but but like but as you can see i I always wanted to say but i'm always curious about life i like to learn about everything the things that i'm interested i'd be like full ongoing and learn so I wanted to say, even though um, I wasn't the best students, but every single job I have, I was always the great one that people wanted to promote me or headhunt me that I never stayed it. So like, cause I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I didn't stay in a career. So I was jumping back and forth when I was in Silicon Alley and chef was actually like made me, if I started as a chef at a younger age, I wouldn't be able to be a successful because I, I just don't have enough patience, I want to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's... Sometimes life's like that. You're not ready, you know. Uh-huh. You're not ready. Yeah. So, so, no, I was the opposite of Carol Chin. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I changed careers too. 27. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. exactly. So you, yes, I will be like, Carol, she will be like the the kid. My, my parents will always point to go, look at Carol Chen. Thank God I didn't <laughs> grow up with you. Oh my God. So much pressure. If you're my friend back then, do you know how much pressure I have? You're like, uh, what? Berkeley? No, Dianza. Sorry. <laughs> so funny. Nothing so wrong with Dianza. Yeah. Wait. So there's always different paths. As Asians, we don't have to be a doctor. Even though I have a doctor as a mom, as a grandma, as a sister. But we don't have to be a doctor. I'm a chef. <laughs> so. All, All right, right. Well, guys. thanks so much. Okay. Next time, Shirley, I hope you come out of your shell a little bit, you know. And uh, and I hope I more. can. Not so shy. I hope that I won't talk as much this time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the you next time. Need yeah. to be quiet. I really do need to be quiet. Curtis, I talk to you. You know much. your podcast. You're going to depend on medicine, right? She's gonna I know, make no. your podcast famous. She's, She's gonna start over. a TikTok account and doing all those all day, and the next thing you know, yeah. Thank you so much. Right, have a good night. It was nice meeting you. Nice, nice to meet you. Bye. Okay. Bye.